Welcome to the ISTC podcast. The ISTC, or the Institute of Scientific and Technical Communicators, is the largest UK body representing information development professionals. This podcast is recording from its conference, Technical Communications UK, and from the TCUK 2016 conference. This podcast is the keynote from Sarah Richards, and it is from a bit of a scaredy cat to banning words for the UK government. So, without further ado, I declare TCUK 2016 underway and hand over the uh, stage to Sarah Richards, who will give us the first keynote speech. And uh, Sarah, I believe, will take questions at the end if time permits. Thanks again for coming. Hello, good morning. How are you doing? Look at you, loads of you. Right, so, um, have I done? Yes. Um, all my jokes are on slides, I can't do this without it. Um, so, talking about career progression today, mine is also very meandering and based on a lot of luck. I am going to point those points out to you. Um, we're going to start a little way back, but not too late too early, and I'm not going to show you school photos or anything. Um, but when I was younger, my, my entire life plan was that I'm going to earn some money so that I don't have to walk around naked, I can feed myself, I do have somewhere to live, and I'm going to grin a lot. That was it. That was about as deep as I was. Um, I, at, at school, my art teacher told me I was crap to leave and then did a GCSE in a year, worked my arse off and went to two of the best art schools in the country. While I was in my second art school, so I studied design and art and that sort of thing. When I got to my second uh, college, I found that copywriters earned more. So, shallow, given the entire life plan, there, I swapped disciplines. Hurrah! It's quite good at English, love apostrophes, that sort of thing, kind of goes okay. When I was in the world of work, I worked with Saatchi's and Ogilvy's, and they kind of went okay. You know, I had my contracts extended, I got offered jobs, that sort of thing. I was a freelancer. Um, but my heart wasn't really in it. My ads mostly looked like that. <laughs> you know, short, concise. I mean, nobody could beat me for concise, I can tell you. However, would you buy those shoes? No, maybe, maybe. I probably would, because I go, ooh, concise. But still, not, not, not quite what we're going for. Um, I didn't care, for example, I, <laughs> I was on a toothpaste. I didn't care how many teeth-whitening chemicals you could shove in your mouth at any one time. It didn't go well. Anyway, my agency sent me to a local government, and it was a grotty, nasty office in the middle of nowhere. It was two hours on the train, including a walk to and from the office at either end, each way. Um, some lovely people trying really hard with tech where you put it on, you put your computer on, you go make some tea, have a chat about the weekend, come back, might be booted up. Has anybody been in that situation before? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. However, and the four hours travelling a day minimum was a bit of an issue. Um, but I was hooked. I was utterly hooked. This was telling people of how to claim, um, uh, what's it called, housing support benefit thing, y you know, when your bins are, how to complain about potholes, things like that. It doesn't sound very exciting, but when you've gone from that, trainers that nobody needs, 
They don't need 15 pairs of trainers, right? And toothpaste, not being funny, as long as you use something, who cares? You, 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 you know, <laughs> and you floss occasionally, very important for dental care. Um, it, you know, in, in <laughs> having a look at that, then this other stuff really kind of caught my soul a bit. Um, so I went back to the agency with that and said, that's what I want to do, but not with the four and four and a half hours traveling a day, thanks very much. So I ended up in government, right? And I bimbled around government for a bit. Now, I don't know about you, I was, I was quite young at this point. When I got into government, I thought it was all this. <laughs> I, I thought spooks. I thought, I thought, cool, secret, secret conversations. And I'd have to kill you all if you mentioned anything. Actually, it's a lot like this. It's a lot like this. I worked for the government digital service, and we did literally have people in bowler hats. Some of the first meetings I went to, I, the first place I worked was the foot and mouth website. Remember when the foot and mouth crisis was going on? Um, and I literally walked into a room, uh, probably kind of this size to the first three desks, just full of blokes, and I was the only female. And I was kind of like, okay, wear trousers from now on, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> all, all terribly, terribly, I'm very much. Okay, so that's the background, and I need you to remember the design bit uh, uh, from that background, because it comes back later on. So let me ask you a question. I'm in government, right? I'm very young, I'm very enthusiastic about things, and I'm going to give you a shape of the environment at the time. So my question to you is, what do you need when you have 3,500 websites for the same organisation? What do you need? <laughs> yes. <laughs> However, what do you think? What, what, what do you think the government solution was? <laughs> you need another one. Obvious. What else would you do? You got three and a half thousand that we knew about at the time. Yeah, these things were popping up all over the place. We had um, one web team could manage five, or you could have five websites with two or three pages that would be managed by five web teams. Right. It's an awful lot of this going on. So the one I ended up in after more meandering about government, going, oh, this is exciting, and oh, who are these people, and getting lost in number 10, that was frightening. Um, I ended up at DirectGov. Do you remember this? Big orange affair. And this is, this is our favorite page of most of GDS, keeping bees. Why does government need to tell you how to keep bees? <laughs> There's actually no law around here, <laughs> unless you're in a commercial place. However, I'm, I, I digress. Um, I was on the editorial team for DirectGov before it launched. So we were getting that up to, up to launch. There was a small team in, in Victoria, and we pulled all the government citizen-facing information into this. Well, I say pulled. Mostly we duplicated it from the other three and a half thousand websites, right, that didn't actually need to shut down when this one started up. Um, one sec. There was no okay. mandate. Departments generally hated us and it. Uh, the departments had to fund it, and that was rather begrudging. Um, it wasn't ideal. However, it went up, and it was all lovely. Um, this was the publishing model. I don't know if this ever happens in your organization. <laughs> <laughs> So somebody, anybody, anybody can write. And with some people, it was 10% of their job and they didn't want to do it. They got stuck with it. I mean, it's just on a very human level, it was not okay <laughs> under any circumstances. Anybody with GCSE English or could turn a good phrase got to write some stuff. Um, 
for DirectGov. Legal or policy signed it off. These people had no training and no interest, to be honest, in reading psychology, usability, how people read on, on the web, nothing. It wasn't, their, it wasn't their field of expertise, and they weren't interested in it. A lot of them were just not interested in it. So they got to sign it off, and there were much arguments, but legal policy, they have the, you know, they, they, they have the, the buck stops with them. Um, and then everybody hated it. <laughs> Literally, everybody hated it, because it was done by committee. Yeah? There's one government department that had a 27-point approval process. It took three months to get one piece of content up. So, quite laborious. Um, has anybody had that experience? A bit. Yeah, excellent, good. Not me. Um, the thing is, is that this view was really reinforced because we had one issue where there was a page on sentencing in, in DirectGov, and one guy looked at it 23 times the day before he stabbed his girlfriend. So, yeah. I'm not sure why, it was only 750 words, there was no need for 23 times in my opinion, but um, he did it and it was used in court. So any time any of us said, oh no, look, legal caveat, la la la, we would get this guy thrown in our face. No, we have to do it because of X. Bit weird. Anyway, that, that, that was the kind of a place that we were in. Users were nowhere in that process. One place was doing it, Company's House. They started to do user testing really early. But there were no users anywhere. It was policy, somebody write, get it through legal, go. That's how that worked. So that's the kind of publishing model that sat in this sort of environment. So permission denied, generally. If you have to ask permission for something in government, it's because you don't know what you're doing. Because if you do know what you're doing, you do what everybody else does, and so you don't need permission for it. Do you see what I mean? Um, <clears throat> I am exaggerating slightly. It makes it sound like a torture chamber. It wasn't at all, but still. Um, I'm going to give you an example of this. So uh, my director asked me to do a bit of work and said, this is a bit hush-hush. This was the one I was waiting for, yeah. <laughs> don't tell anyone about it. This was the project I wanted. So don't tell anyone, go do this bit of work. All right, so I toddled off, did it piece of paper, because it can't be tracked, apart from the fact that I printed it out on the work printer, but we're not even going to go there. And so, my, so let's pretend my director's desk is here, right? So I took it over to him, I've done this bit of work like you asked, and he looked at me and he said, Sarah, I'm the director, that's your boss there, can you talk to him? I was going, it's about the thing. And he went, that's your boss there, chain of command. I went, here, to my boss's desk, right? put the thing down, explained what he'd told me to not tell anyone, explained the problem. My boss wheeled his chair backwards, <laughs> swung himself round, said what I just said there, yeah? So he heard, because I'm only standing there. They had a conversation, wheeled his chair backwards again, turned round and told me what he'd just said. <laughs> so, yeah, I sort of, I heard, thanks very much. You know, so much for my secret project. That was the environment we were in. It's very, very hierarchical, even if it's completely pointless. Um, so in that sort of environment, when you ask things, you kind of learn the denial bit. You learn to become a bit helpless. 
Actually, this is one of Mike Bracken's favourite terms, learnt helplessness. Um, we had a transaction star guide. Did anybody use any of the DirectGov tools and transactions? I think there's some still going, like um, driving licence and stuff like that, big orange affairs. Anyone use them? My team and I did the transaction star guide for government. So it's a style guide that you follow for all these multi-million pound transactions, yeah? We did the style guide, and I was told if I had to test it with users, I didn't know my job. Did I need to go on a training course? <laughs> uh, no, I just, multi-million pound, this thing is going to be rolled out to every government transaction <laughs> that's going. Do you not think we ought to put it in front of some users? No, because otherwise, you're not professional. That's the answer I got. Uh, so, you stop asking, <laughs> you stop talking, yeah, you stop asking for anything when you're just made to feel stupid every time you ask for some help. So, you stop talking. And this is what I did, this is what most of, of DirectGov did. And you go under the radar, because <laughs> it is the only way that you're going to get anything done. Have any of you been in that sort of situation? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same people. <laughs> I'm so sorry, we should all have tea. Um, okay, so... That's the sort of environment that we were in, right? And then along came this. Um, it's a, a report by Martha Lane Fox, Baroness. Martha Lane Fox now. Uh, I wish she wasn't at the time. She did a report and she basically said uh, for, um, uh, what's his name? Francis Maud, who's the cabinet office uh, bold at the time, and said that all government services should change. It said that you should do four things, basically. Create the government digital service, which was one central team that would go across government and be uh, responsible for usability, digital usability, basically. Fix publishing, because publishing was screwed. I mean, if you have a 27-point point process, you know, I mean, that's just bonkers. Fix transactions. If the star guide hasn't been tested at all and is being rolled out, the bad news, right, and go wholesale. It's just like APIs and all that sort of thing. Um, most of what I'm going to talk to you about today was fixed publishing, because that was the bit that kind of fixed my career, which is what we're supposed to be talking to, talking about. Um, that report is up on Tinternet if you wanted to have a look at it. So the whole uh, starting point for the government digital service was start with needs, user needs, not government needs. This was very radical for government. When I was going around at the beta, I went down to... Uh, the, the little nucleus team at beta stage, and I set up the content team there. Um, when I told government departments that they were doing this, they laughed at me. They literally laughed at me and said, no, we're not. It's all about what we want to say. We're government and we have to say stuff. And it's like, yes, we do. But we could say it in, in a way that they want to know it, right? Um, okay. Carried on anyway. We read every page on DirectGov and BusinessLink. Did you ever go on that? That was all the business-facing information. 70,000 pages they had in English. That's not including the Welsh and the Northern Irish stuff. 70,000 pages, most of them in a circular or dead-end journey. Um, there were 5,000 on DirectGov, and we went through four questions for each bit of content. Yeah, what's the point of it? I know that sounds like a ridiculous question, but often, sometimes, there wasn't one. Uh, do people want it? So we looked at traffic, data, all those kind of metrics and things that I was talking about in the workshop yesterday. Um, we had a massive spreadsheet. Do people want this thing? Where do they come and find it? How long are they with us? Uh, what's their exit? Like everything, every bit of data that we could get hold of. Do people expect government to do it? You don't need information about bees, do you? Or how to buy a dog, although that's up there now. Um, and can only government meet this need? 
If it met those four things, then it could be in. Otherwise, it had to go. So we went from 75,000 pages down to just over 3,000. And there were no missing user needs. When it first went up, the only people that complained to us publicly through, through the kind of messaging system that we had on the site were the authors of the content that dropped. Later on, once the dust settled, we did find that we missed stuff. And we rewrote it, and we shoved it straight up. And as government changes and policy changes, then we change the content as well. But originally, when everything went up, and for the first couple of months, there was not one missing user need. And there was only 3,000 pages, not 75,000. So you know I was telling you that this was the government model before. Um, this new team that was doing this, GDS, the new model was this. You have an idea, you talk about it, and you're not called stupid for having, even if they are daft ideas, and then you learn stuff. It's brilliant. Um, you'll see a lot in, in, in Agile and in our industry where that third one is kind of fail fast. Kind of, you don't have to fail to learn stuff. Actually, the thing was the learning that we were going to take away. So one of the ideas that we talked about, which probably seemed bonkers at the time, but kind of works was the term content design. If I said content design to you, what do you think? Words and pictures. Okay. What else? Structure. Structure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of those. <laughs> this, the government, um, people in GDS are now in government. If you are in the editorial teams, if you are in the content teams, you are now called a content designer. The reason for this is I was bouncing up and down outside Hercules' house in the freezing cold uh, with Tom Loosemore. He said, what are you going to call yourselves? And I said, I don't want to be kept to editorial. Because if you go into a meeting and say you're a writer, most of government at that point thought, fine, there's a sub-editor above you. If you go into the room and say, I'm an editor, they think, brilliant, you're going to publish whatever I tell you. I said, I don't want people to do that. I don't want to be locked to words. They honestly thought that we walked around with dictionary and the thesaurus, and that was about it. We could proofread these kind of policy people's words. I said, I don't want to be locked to content. I want to be able to use this data, and I want tools, and I want transactions, and I want calculators, and I want calendars, and I want this, that, and the other. In the beta team, we were sitting in a multidisciplinary team from day one. I wanted to wheel my chair to a, to a developer or a designer and say, I, I can't do this in content, it's too hard. Actually, I need a calendar. Can I have it? And he'd say yes, and then I'd wheel my chair back, and 20 minutes later, I'd have one, or three weeks later, or whatever. That. So we went into meetings saying, with the new content design team, well, half of government sniggered up their sleeves. They were like, <laughs> you calling yourselves what? And it's like, good, that. Let's have that conversation. Using language to change an organization worked really well in this instance. I do understand that it's been used around the world now and people are blaming me because nobody understands what that term is. I'd like to point out I did it for me at that particular time. Um, so content designers have uh, a view on everything from the result you get in Google, which SEO teams often deal with, right to the letter that you get at the end of a transaction. So. Um, I'm going to show you some examples of this. We're going to play a game. I'm going to show you a page. And if you've been in any of my conferences and know this, don't, don't, don't shout out. Uh, and I want you to put your hand up when you find out how much it costs to renew an adult passport. We know from research that people do this in two 
bit. When it comes to renewing their passport, they look for the price, then they go away for a bit, and then usually on another device, they go back and do the application. Yeah? So we know that it happens in two bits. So I want you to put your hand up when you know how, long, how much it costs to renew an adult passport. Ready? I'm timing you. <laughs> Anyone? Yep. Yeah, it's not on that page. Um, <coughs> but this is the page you would have got to from Google. If you had done Google, you would have ended up in here. It's actually under here. It's uh, in the third paragraph down. We're going to play the game again on a GDS page, and I'm going to time you. Ready? Bingo. <laughs> Three seconds. Last time we're going to play this game, where's the price? Yeah? Yeah, it's right there. That's content design. We were getting rid of whole swathes of SEO people because we knew how to manipulate this. Where my teams, um, they're not allowed to put pen to paper until they understand all the mental models, the priorities, and the terms that people use. Um, so th there's one example. This is another one where blank space is brilliant as a content person. In I work for uh, Citizens Advice after I left GDS. And we did a form. When people go for their interviews at Job Center Plus, it can be quite daunting, particularly if you haven't had work for a while. Self-esteem may be very low. Um, and you don't project yourself very well. And you don't do it in interviews very well either. And when we were doing the discovery around this kind of uh, content, people said, oh, I go into meetings and, and my brain just goes blank. Which happens to all of us all the time. So on. And, and they don't want to print out the bit of information because it's just like, I don't know, 500 words of guff, right? Why would you take that into a meeting with you? So we did this, which is a printoutable sheet. So we take some of the key points that we've put in. I can't believe I've used the word key. We put the most important points uh, as a short sentence and then gave them a sheet that they could print out, write along, and take with them to the interview or if they were getting help from Citizens Advice, Citizens Advice would print that out and write it with them to take to the interview. Content design isn't just about the words on the page that people read, it's about the stuff that they need to complete the task. And if that's something printable that they need to take out, then it is. Um, another GovUK one, this is just one of the tools. This is one of my favorites. There's a legal requirement, anybody who has kids will know they have to go through this. There's a sentence that says, you have to tell your employer 15 weeks before the 15th week before your child is due. Yeah. Really? What it should say is just tell your employer after the 12 weeks can. But it doesn't. Um, so uh, created a tool, which you'll be able to see. And it gives you a calculator at the end. Um, a calculator, a calendar at the end. Tell your employer this, do this, do that at these dates. Um, and it's all very funky and very slow. So I'm going to skip past it. It's very good. Another thing that content designers do is work with their designers to tell them, I need this sort of thing. I need examples. I need call-outs. I need this, that, and the other. And then we work out the style of you can only have two per page and all those sorts of things. But we tell the designers the kind of information that we have and what's the best way of getting it out. We don't do the whole. We do the content, designers sit over there, and you hurl it over the wall at each other. Do you do that? 
Any of you do that? No. So um, these are some of the things that I've worked on. Uh, and I've come up with a whole bunch of rules for content designers. One, content is content, not just words. That's those examples that I showed you before. Um, number two is that we have permission to learn. This was the biggest one for me to stop being a scaredy cat. When I was sitting at DirectGov, being told that I was stupid if I wanted to test with users, you kind of, you, you lose it. You lose your confidence and you don't say anything and you kind of try and do things in sneaky ways so that you don't get shouted at. Um, having permission to learn from an organization is an incredibly strong thing. It's an incredibly empowering thing and it can change um, people's trajectories. In, in their careers, I think. People didn't care if I was wrong, they cared if I didn't ask the questions. As long as I was asking questions, I was all good. So for me, this was a massive point. Um, and my third rule is reading is nothing, comprehension is everything. So for us, I don't care if people read stuff. It, do, it, it doesn't matter, you can read loads. Do you understand it? Because if you don't understand it, reading it is a waste of time, in my opinion. With that one in mind, we created this, which is the content principles. We have design principles at uh, GDS, and we have content principles at all. This is my favorite. There's no space for waffle anywhere on GovUK. Superfluous information is not necessary, although there's quite a bit now, but I'm not there, so it's not my bag. Um, <clears throat> and this is my second favorite. This is the one that got us into the news. Um, it's a plain English list. Uh, mostly, actually, I just did the, what I think is hilariously funny bits uh, in, in um, brackets. I had people stopping me in, in Whitehall corridors going, have you, have you got a banned words list? I'm like, yeah. They go, I want this one. I can't bear it when people say bleh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll add it to the list. <laughs> uh, most of them didn't get there. Um, however, some of these, because th th there is a, a genuine reason for this, People understand different things from these. We were talking about it yesterday. You can use plain English words and still confuse people if you're using the wrong thing. Um, drive out. We're going to drive out this policy. You're going to do what with it? Is, is it some sort of transport-related thing or not? I don't, I don't understand that. Drive out. Is that that you're going to deliver it? Is that that you're going to talk about it a lot? Are you going to campaign about it? Do you know what I mean? You have to be concrete, particularly with government um, and indeed with citizens' advice, and all of those things mean that we can keep people out of trouble. So when I was uh, not selling trainers anymore, and I kind of found that hook uh, at my local council, this is what I was going for, because it was more important to me. So I'm just going to tell you uh, the top five things I've learned on this kind of meandering old journey that I've been through. Um, show, don't tell which is what GDS says a lot, but I think it's uh, the most powerful thing that you can do. If I take conversations out of the room, people can't argue with me. If I trot out Jacob Nielsen and Christine Halverson and people experts, they can't argue with me because it's not me arguing with them. We use this, cluster mapping. Do you use this? Each of these bits is a bit of content. And these, these bits here is the stronger relations that you've got. Um, and so like this bit of content here <laughs> has got one link and probably isn't doing very well. When I sit down and have conversations and I show people these data and I show people other things, 
then the arguments become much clearer and the arguments become about a thing, not uh, an opinion, which is um, also very kind of empowering. Um, I use stuff like this. So there are lawyers who have given evidence um, and have done an empirical... This is an incredible study. Um, it's an empirical study of people not understanding legal language run by a lawyer, run by a barrister. Um, uh, th this is my favourite line. <laughs> Imagine if I told one of my English as a second language clients to disseminate this letter to your family. They might ask you, want me to do what to my family? <laughs> this goes across the board for everything, for technical communications, for citizen communications, for business-to-business -business communications. A lot of people say, oh, well, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They're in the same business as me. Do they? <laughs> Have you met them? Everybody in this entire room has an entirely different background. You bring baggage with you. The things that I'm saying to you, one person will take away something else to somebody else. You can't say that, and as communicators, we need to be very, very careful. Even lawyers know this. So two, everybody did the best job possible with the information they had at the time. This is ripped off from Agile, but I think it's also very important when you're meandering around career paths like I am. Often you can look at someone and think, you're a moron. You have no idea what you're talking about. Stop moving your mouth. Um, <laughs> and actually, one, that's extremely rude. And two, it's not even true. They just have different baggage. Um, and they're just doing the thing that they think is the best. Nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, I'm going to be an ass today. <laughs> Who can I annoy today? Nobody wakes up like that. <laughs> it's just the case of, well, hmm, you might know somebody who does. <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> I hope I don't. Um, so, yeah, when I'm having arguments and things, then I take the emotion out of it. And again, that's a massive learning point for me. Another one is questions can be more useful than statements. And we did some of this in the workshop yesterday. So if you were there, just switch off for a minute. Um, I do this to people's content. If they show me content uh, that's theirs and, and they've got four and a half thousand words on, you know, how to cut a banana or whatever it is, um, I, will take their, I will show them this, show them the studies, then I will take their content and do that with it, or mostly that, because I want to. And I only allow them 20 to 28% um, on the page, which we know from research is how much people read. And then I ask them, what are you happy for users to ignore? <laughs> I don't tell them they can't have their content. I don't tell them there's too much content on the page. I tell them how people will read, and then I say, what do you, what is your decision on what people are not going to read? Off you go. And then there's that kind of like, but I want them to read everything, so we're going to put more words on the page. <laughs> okay, cognitive load increases 11% every 100 words you put on the page. By the time you get to the bottom of it, nobody's anywhere. What are you happy for people to not understand? Should we start there? So... <laughs> so, questions I find work much better for me than statements. If I go in there saying nobody's going to read this, they can take a position and they can say yes they will or I don't care. If you ask them the question and make it their kind of problem, then I personally find that it works a lot easier for me. Um, and again, you, there's no arrogance in that, it, it's just a question. 
so you can have a nicer conversation. And for somebody who's quite, I know that I'm standing here right, talking to you. If you look at any videos of, any, of me, including the one, if there is one, today, you'll see me shake for the first 20 minutes. This is not easy. And talking to people is not easy. Sitting in those meetings with people shouting at me, I mean screaming at me at GDS. I had one guy in my face screaming at me, and I counted his feelings because he was so close. Um, so I find questions take the emotion out. So I, ju I, just, I just find it far easier. And I've talked a little bit about this. Keep focus on the product, not the people. If I'm leading a team and they're talking about people more than the product, there's a problem. There's something not right about that team. You need to look at the one goal that you've got and keep going. So I also work in an organization where you have different bits of the business and you all should be going in the same direction, and mostly not. Do you guys do that? Or are you, yeah, some of you do. Okay, so I work in that sort of environment, and trying to get everybody to understand that it's not us and them, it's not content and the rest of the business. It, it, we are actually one team, can be quite difficult. But if you do, the, this, is my, this is my idea of love. This is, this is my brilliant idea. Um, so you've got a boss kind of with the top-down approach and all these people either aren't listening or they're on their phone or whatever because they're talking at each other. I find particularly stick something on a screen and have, the round tables are great. <laughs> have the, with tea and biscuits, obviously. And you focus on the product itself, not each other. Again, you can take that emotion out. And for people like me who are quite nervous, I know it doesn't look like it, but I promise you it's true. Um, that can also just take, the, just take the wind out of it, you know? And if you are having difficult conversations, then actually if you're looking at a thing and just talking about the thing, it's a lot easier. Um, and the last one in, in this uh, bit is to look after yourself. This one I learned um, because, uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, government digital service, my hair started falling out. I would touch it and great big clumps of it would come out. I didn't sleep. I stopped sleeping. There was no point in sleeping. Uh, there was too much to do. Um, and I was having a whole load of home things going on as well. So have any of you felt like your work is affecting your home life? <laughs> yeah, again, there's a little bit of giggling. It's like, yeah, no, stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Um, if you don't look after yourself... Well, you just have to. Just, just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't get into situations where it's horrible. If you get to a point where your job is so awful, just leave. There's so many content jobs around right now for really good communicators. You lot are hard to find, I know. GDS, we had 46 applications for every place that we had. Went down to test, and then we went to boot camps, and we might end up with one person per 46. So you lot are hard, hard, harder to find. Go find another job. Don't, don't look after yourselves. That's what I'm saying. Right, so now, that was my meandering uh, career journey. So I do two things now. Uh, I am my own consultancy. We do training and stuff like that. And the one thing, well, the two things that I learned is, one, do the right thing, even if it's the hardest thing. I would not have got to GDS and everything that GDS gave me for my career. Quite frankly, that's the luck bit. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't been so argumentative in DirectGov. It's my reputation in DirectGov for going under the radar and dealing with wheelchair kind of conversations. Um, 
and continually asking for user research, even though I wasn't going to get it. Uh, if I hadn't done all those things, my reputation wouldn't have preceded me. I wouldn't have gone to GDS. I wouldn't have been able to create an incredible team, um, bring in all that data stuff that we now do, or now they do across government. I wouldn't have been able to do any of that um, without being a bit mouthy at DirectGov. So even if it's the hardest thing, I suggest you do the right thing. And the second one is choose the right boss. <laughs> You're not going for a job. When it comes to that kind of healthcare thing, and I am very, very much into that, you're not choosing a job that you go to and you are doing for your employer. You are choosing someone to look after your mental health, actually, for eight hours a day. Not only your physical health, because you've got people from health and safety wandering around. We have people from health and safety wandering around telling us we can put post-it notes on the wall in case they came off and somebody slipped. you've ever seen pictures of GDS, it's literally post-it notes everywhere. We were just looking around going, where, where do you want us to start, dude? Anyway, uh, that person is there actually to look after you. You need to be very careful with that as well in your career trajectory. Make sure that you're choosing the right boss on your interviews. Grill them. When they ask you where, they, where you want to be in five years, ask them where, what, where they're going to be. <laughs> Yeah, and where are you, dude? I've had some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people come and interview with me, and they're like, yes, and what do you do? And, and how do you deal with escalation, Sarah? And I'm like, I'm on interview. That person got the job because they, they cared about it enough to turn it around. So if any of you were thinking of moving. Um, I'm, I'm not recruiting yet. Uh, <laughs> so in that meandering uh, career journey, those are the two main things that I've learned and those are the two main things that I will continue um, to do. Ah, I'm right on time, 35 minutes. These are the URLs of the three things that I was uh, talking in about, except I completely forgot Jonathan's course. Uh, so this is the legal thing that if anybody needs any kind of legally stuff, there's there. I would recommend this course. Um, Jonathan Kahn does it. It's about um, non-violent communication and collaboration and stuff like that. It's really good for getting around people who are very difficult to work with. If you wanted to do this, and my blog is there if you wanted anything on content design, um, etc. We have four minutes. Does anybody have any questions, or shall I let you go? Oh, hello. Yes, you. Somebody tweet that. Oh my God! Ten years in government. Um, mentally staying strong. Yeah, I have two allotments. I dig with anger. I can tell you, I can, I can very aggressively plant carrots. Um, how do you deal with bro That's funny. We had at GDS, we had a meeting, what's it called? A meetingometer or something? Uh, and it was this little thing that one of the guys built. This is what the developers are like shambling about in their shorts. Honestly, how they got into the civil service, I don't know. And they would have this, the, the screen on, and you could put it on for something like 23 minutes. And if you went over to, and you could type notes into it, 
and if you went over 23 minutes, it went red and made this god-awful sound, and then it sent your notes to your email addresses, and it shut itself down. <laughs> it's like, you, you're done now! <laughs> uh, with things like that, actually, we're having a meeting about not having... I uh, Just, really? <laughs> One, stand-up. Have you seen that American company that makes everybody plank when they have a stand-up? It's like, yeah, you're going to be concise then, I can tell you. <laughs> Because you have to do the thing, you know. Um, you've just got to keep going and also make the sound. So a lot of people do do that learnt helplessness, you know, because you're like, oh, God, and matey said it and he's a director of something. And I find also when these diktats come down, we have one um, <laughs> where I wanted to talk to the Deputy Prime Minister because apparently he was insisting certain words were on the Gov UK. And I said, all right, make a meeting, I'll go talk to him. There was silence. No, and, and, and the whole problem went away. And I think it's because sometimes if you go to the top person and say, do you know how ridiculous this is? They go, Wah. because the people around them don't do it because they're too scared. Maybe they've got the learnt helplessness. Maybe that, that, that director's been a complete arse. I don't know, but there is some reason why they stop speaking, I think, in a lot of organisations. So I don't know, can you just walk up to the dude and say, oi, stop it? Maybe not. Um, but so long as you're open, and very honest, and just keep going. I don't think there's any other way of doing it. Has anybody else got any better ideas? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. We're all Dory. No, sorry. <laughs> just keep going and talk to the top board. Hello. Yeah. Did you all hear that? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Should I repeat that? Concise, yes. Yeah, yeah so to, to give the summary, um, I think it's about having more effective meetings. Um, if you can improve that somehow, then probably uh, everyone won't feel that, that you know, having meetings is a waste of time, I think. Yeah, actually... That would be great, wouldn't it? Organisation-wide, how to have an effective meeting session, not meeting. Uh, I also find, I do find stand-ups work. People do not like standing up for an hour. We also had somebody in GDS who had 43-minute meetings. And he refused to have them any longer, and he would look at his watch, and he would tell people, 43 minutes, and I'm out of here. Um, and he's risen quite high now. Um, and if somebody was mid-sentence, he'd go, it's 43 minutes, and he'd get up and he'd walk off. And at first you're like, that's, that's just plain rude, actually. That's just really rude. However, after about two, three weeks of that, went round, all the people he was working with, everybody was very concise because they know that time is important. I, d I don't know if you would get away with that in your <laughs> organisation. I'm not saying do that, I'm just giving it as an example. Hello?
And, and I think that really is the problem, actually, because uh, somebody need, who's, who knows how to chair a meeting should make sure that the meeting stays on course. But quite often, if you suggest that, they say, oh, well, there isn't anywhere else for us to discuss this. Yes, but it's not the subject of the meeting. So yeah. There is Maybe that. it is that, though. It's, it's back to your point, actually. We all need a bit of training on how yeah. to keep things on track. Yeah, quite right. Hold on a minute. Because nobody's going to hear you. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. One of the first courses I did was how to hold a meeting, and you have to be strict. You have an agenda, you don't let anybody wander. If they want to wander, you say take it offline. Simple as that. Another, it's not in this meeting, take it offline. Yeah. Another thing that we had once uh, was that we had a bell. And when people went off to it, you smack the bell. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm really sorry. It was at a time when we were growing really fast. And we had exactly that, you know, because one thing seems to be five other things. And it's like, we can't talk about that now. Smack the bell. And everybody just wanted to be honest to, to hit that bell, but still, quite childish. Hello. Um, you talked about the importance of user testing. Mm. Um, but one of the things lots of technical communicators have is the issue there never seems to be time to do it. Um, you write the document, often the plan is you write a documentation then there should be time for testing. Yeah. It never happens. Yeah. How did you break out of that pattern of, of no time and not being allowed to speak to users and, and that type of thing? That was just strong delivery management. So we just said to our delivery managers, project managers, whatever you call them, um, in your organization, we just said to them, it has to be built in. It cannot go until. And then it was up to them to negotiate with. I mean, at GDS, it's very easy because it's baked into the system. Agile is baked into the system. Testing is baked into the system. Nothing goes out of that organization without user research. It just doesn't. So it was very easy. There are other organizations that I'm working with now to get it baked into the system. It's just a case of it has to happen. Nothing can go out without it. And I think you have to be quite strong, but it depends on how much influence you have over your your organization, and it doesn't need to be much. This is the other thing. People seem to think that you have to spend two weeks in lab testing, spend thousands, all the rest of them. You really, really don't. For you guys, getting hold of the people that you definitely need might be harder. There are recruitment agencies out there who will just find whoever you need. Um, if it's, does this work, is this comprehe you know, comprehensible, can people actually understand it? I love, it's my favorite thing, I take my laptop and I go out to a bus stop with a bag of cakes and my laptop and I get them to speak into the thing. Can you understand that? Can you understand that? And I've done it with uh, medical stuff. Um, there's a, one particular health thingy uh, that I'm working or used to work with that affects 1% uh, of the entire globe. And I went out to a bus stop and I said, can you understand that? And the answer was yes, good. Because actually it doesn't matter if you are an expert in that thing. The, the, the thing is, can you understand it? Because also we were having this argument yesterday, or we were having this conversation yesterday, about everybody knows my thing, so I don't need to explain any terms. What well, nobody's born with the knowledge <laughs> of whatever it is you're communicating about. There is going to be somebody new to your industry. There's going to be people interested in what you're doing that's never heard of it before. And then it's just down to that comprehension. I think. So it, it doesn't have to be big things, I don't think. And there's a whole stack of research out there that people are opening up now. Um, so you can just rip off all sorts of research. I don't think it needs to be long. I think I'm out of time. 
Who's, who's, who's keeping me to time here? No one. Brilliant. <laughs> Let's just keep going. I'm loving it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's it, I think, from me. So thank you very much for your time.